for this patient, um, she was referred to me as a second opinion um, from um, Dr. Ahmed in Cedar Rapids. Um, and um, so I, I'm hoping it'll be a good discussion. And since I've never encountered such a case before, I'll, I'll see what everyone else has to say. So obviously I have no disclosures or conflict of interest. The objectives are the, of this talk are to do a case presentation and get everyone's input and discussion management um, and diagnosis, of course, because um, I'm, I'm assuming it's a specific diagnosis, but I'm not really sure. Uh, review literature on kidney involvement in rheumatoid arthritis and review treatment options of um, renal involvement in rheumatoid arthritis, specifically membranous nephropathy. Um, so briefly, the history is that uh, this patient is a, she's a 62-year-old Caucasian female. She has a history of untreated rheumatoid arthritis for approximately 15 years that we know of, maybe even more. Uh, so she presented to her PCP's office just to roughly give you a timeline sometime in April uh, with weight gain, leg swelling, shortness of breath, foamy urine for two months. Uh, review of system was also positive for multiple joint pains, leg swelling, foamy urine. Like I mentioned above, physical examination was unremarkable except for three plus fitting edema and weight gained by seven pounds from her usual baseline. Um, so she is uh, started on furosemide, 40 milligrams uh, twice a day. She started on Losartan. Uh, labs in UA are ordered, uh, which are as follows. I've tried to highlight the pertinent ones. Her albumin was 1.8 grams per deciliter. Rheumatoid factor was positive. And CCP was negative. Pro-BNP was done, which was 67 negative. ESR was elevated, so was CRP. And the urine proteinist to creatinine ratio was the most a significant finding at 15.6 grams. Um, her ANA was checked, which was negative. So following these findings, she's referred to a nephrologist um, and these are her medications. So the uh, pertinent one is Mobic, which she had been taking at least two to three times a day for many months for her rheumatoid arthritis pain. Um, so is that all she's had for rheumatoid arthritis, non-steroidal? So she has not taken anything. She has not been treated. She tells me that she was at some point of time started on methotrexate briefly, maybe a week or so, and she started to develop side effects and she stopped taking it and she actually did not want any treatment for rheumatoid arthritis. Got it. Yeah. Um, this is a patient who doesn't like to take medications. I actually had to convince her to take whatever treatment I was trying to give her. So yeah. Um, so routine health maintenance, she is very physically active. She continued to work as of like a few months back when all of this started. Uh, she runs a daycare. Um, she's had a colonoscopy, which was negative, pretty much negative. Her mammogram was normal. Her pap smear was normal. Um, so this is all the age appropriate cancer screenings that is uh, required at, at her age. So two weeks later, she is seen by the nephrologist. Um, we get some more labs done or pretty much like a complete worker for a nephrotic syndrome, new onset nephrotic syndrome. And as you can see, the other additional findings that were positive this time were cryoglobulins. Um, ANA titer was positive. Uh, rheumatoid factor was checked again and it was uh, 46 from 55, so still a little bit positive. The normal value is like 30 international units per ml. Uh, reflex DSDNA was not done. Um, and her UPCR continued to be at approximately 10 grams. So this is roughly the end of April. And then she's sent for a kidney biopsy here at the university. 
the kidney biopsy is read, read as immune complex GN membranous pattern, tubular basement membrane, IgG stain. So I've just based, pretty much copied and pasted whatever was written in the impression of the um, kidney biopsy. Um, uh, glomerulus PLA2R was checked, which was negative. So was the serum PLA2R. Um, so the impression was also that the nephrotic syndrome developed after COVID-19. So she had a COVID infection back in October, 2020. Um, and she was like never sick to the point to even go to the hospital. From what she tells me, it was a mild infection. And then she was vaccinated in, on 23rd of March. So I wasn't sure October and April onset of nephrotic syndrome. It's, I mean, it's quite possible, but it just that did not fit in. Then I did some literature search on the biopsy findings of um, COVID-19 induced nephropathy, even for mild cases, but I, I was not able to find anyone who has had membranous nephropathy post-COVID. Um, and all since her serum cryos were positive, uh, but there were no um, features of cryoglobulinemic GN on the biopsy. Um, so if, there, if Dr. Dow wants to comment on the biopsy findings, uh, I would be very glad. If not, then I can uh, just present it myself. Uh, yeah. So how many slides do you have? Of pathology. Uh, of pathology, just uh, three. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, so this is the germ uh, stain, right? So, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Uh, but you do not. I, I'm pretty sure you do not see the the, the arrow. But uh, it, it looks like most of the uh, pattern is a slight thickening of uh, glomerular basement membranes, the capillary loops. Um, so since uh, I got a history of a cryoglobulinemia uh, after I signed out the case, but e even I look back, I do not see any any uh, pattern of uh, MPGN or a duplication of GBM by light microscopy. So it, it looks like just thickening of capillary loops with, uh, if, if you go higher power, we can see some spikes and holes. So uh, by light microscopy, it looked like membranous pattern. Right, so uh, can you go to the next one, please? And, and this is what uh, one of the uh, picture by EM. Uh, it looks like uh, it looks like most of the uh, <clears throat> electron dense deposit is a subepithelial area, but uh, also some area in the mesangial regions. But uh, subendothelial deposits are not very convincing, right? Uh, and uh, the protocyte process effacement. Uh, is quite extensive. We do not see any tubular reticular inclusion. So I believe I do not call this membranous nephropathy. I call it immune complex mediated GN um, with a predominantly membranous pattern because uh, it, it can definitely be a cryoglobulinemic GN at, at a very early stage, right? But, but at this point, I do not see something that I can uh, straight call it a cryogen. So, Dafu, on the um, endothelial side, there is this sort of linear electron-dense ribbon that is present. What is that? I think that is the uh, that is not the endothelial side. I, that is actually the uh, podocyte area. That is the podocyte area. So, how do you yeah. see the food process then if, if it's all filled up like that? 
so the food process are completely based on this one, right? Yeah, so so the inner side, the, the, the one that look like uh, uh, within the circle, that is actually the, the portal side. That's the portal side. Yeah, yeah, the endothelial side is at, at the outer side in this loop. Yeah. Yeah, this is the Bowman space. Yeah. Yep, and this okay. is the portal side side. Okay. Yeah. Um, yes. So Dr. Dell, Dr. Dell, why did you call it immune complex as opposed to just straight uh, membranous? It is very. It is a very atypical membranous that property. And, uh, he has. Um, how is that? Uh, it, it has that mesangial deposit. Uh, and can you remind me again about the uh, uh, immunofluorescence? Yeah. So the immunofluorescence is on the next slide, and it was like positive okay. IgG two to three plus and C three. And the C three is also very strong, mm -hmm. yeah. right? So, but but uh, looking at the immuno uh, uh, immunostaining, it also looks like a mostly capillary capillary loops staining, capillary wall staining. Right. I, I think the uh, the uh, a typical part uh, is, uh, for example, the um, mesangial deposit, right? Mm -hmm. And then also uh, the extent of a uh, uh, subepithelial deposit is not is not that typical uh, membranous nephropathy. Typical membranous nephropathy usually has a very extensive and very uh, more homogeneous deposit, but this one is a little bit more scattered here and there, and then uh, some area that looks like a lot of mesangial deposit as well. Yeah, so it it. it can definitely be something else, but at uh, at an early stage of presentation. That is my uh, opinion. Thank you. Yeah, do you have the next one that you need? Oh, that's it, okay. Yep. And uh, the C3 is also strong. So at first I think it could be some infection associated GN, but I do not see something that look like harm. And I believe the patient do not have any other bacterial infection other than COVID-19. Yep, that's right. true. Yeah. So I think it will be a like immune complex GN uh, membranous pattern, but it, it could be due to something else. Okay. Thank you. Anyone else has any questions or comments on the biopsy? So I did not, um, was not able to find any evidence of any other infection, even after a thorough history taking except the COVID-19 infection in October, 2019. Um, and then, um, so my impression of this biopsy on how to treat this patient who has approximately 12 to 15 grams of proteinuria would be, would have been to treat membranous, except, uh, if it wasn't just for her history of untreated rheumatoid arthritis with joint erosion. So, um, she had actually also seen rheumatology, um, just before, uh, seeing me like two weeks before seeing me. And um, they had mentioned in their note about rheumatoid vasculitis. Um, I know it's not something that we see very commonly in the era of like modern immunosuppression, but just given the fact that this patient had never been treated before, I um, tried to look up some case studies, case series and evidence on rheumatoid vasculitis. But uh, from what I understand, you have to have some sort of vasculitic, vasculitic features, which this, this patient did not have any of them. Uh, sorry, a quick question. So the cryoglobulin is that is that uh, after COVID nineteen or, or or the patient has uh, elevated cryoglobulin even before the COVID nineteen. So before COVID nineteen, she had no reason to get a cryo checked, and it was checked almost in April when she started to have nephrotic range proteinuria. So it was never checked before. So I don't know. 
what about the rheumatoid factor? Uh, it was also not, not checked before. Okay. Yeah. And it was consistently checked after twice and both the times it was positive with anti-CCP being negative. Okay, so um, after doing some literature review on how to treat this patient, I decided to make this presentation to give everyone a little bit of background on uh, what kind of kidney involvement do we see in rheumatoid arthritis patients? Because at least this was my first case, case of possible kidney involvement in RA. So um, I could not find a clear pathogenesis in some old literature. There was some role of uh, possible rheumatoid factors being deposited, autoantibodies to IgG, um, antibodies to HLA-DR4, and the possible role of B cells differentiation, but I was not able to find a clear consensus pathogenesis. Um, and I'm going to be focusing on membranous nephropathy um, um, in RA. So it varies from 17 to 30% in three of the major studies that were published have been published so far, including almost 100 patients and other uh, findings could be IG nephropathy, membranoproliferative GN amyloidosis, and rheumatoid vasculitis. Um, Minakshi, yes. is it fair to say that when you say 17 to 30, 30%, what you mean is of the patients with rheumatoid who have kidney disease, yes. 17 to 31% have membranous. Yes, of the RA patients that were ever biopsied for right. any reason, all 17 to 31% were found to have membranous. And this is the slide uh, that basically is like a collection of studies that have been done so far, at least it's until 2015, uh, that have specifically looked at the biopsy findings and two of the earlier studies actually looked at the autopsy findings. So uh, if you look in that, in this particular study by Yoshida and all um, from Japan, almost 52% of the patients with rheumatoid had uh, uh, membranous nephropathy. And then I've just highlighted the other studies as well. So um, this was a study published by um, Helen. Um, it was coming out of Finland. Uh, they, it was a retrospective study. They looked at all the patients from 1976 to 1992 at their temporary university hospital uh, who were admitted with rheumatoid arthritis or ever underwent a biopsy from and had a diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, 19 patients, which is approximately 17%, were found to have membranous uh, nephropathy. Um, and if you look in the first table, almost 13, uh, one presented with nephrotic range, nephrotic syndrome and 13 had evidence of proteinuria, which is not something new. Um, and 19 patients out of 110 patients um, had uh, membranous nephropathy. Um, so uh, in the same study, what they found was that 68%, this is just the key findings from the study, 68% of affected patients were females. One of the patient in the study had actually features of both amyloidosis as well as membranous GN, and that was the only patient who had an abnormal kidney function. I believe their creatinine was around 3.8. Um, the duration of RA was significantly shorter um, in patients with membranous as compared to pa patients with amyloidosis. Uh, the membranous, the biopsy changes of membranous were diffuse in 10 patients and segmental in another 10 patients, so 50-50 of the findings, and there was no correlation between um, 
if the kidney function would be worse in those with um, segmental findings versus those with diffuse, diffuse findings. The consistent theme that I found in all of these earlier studies done in like early 80s or 90s was the fact that most of the patients had been on disease-modifying anti-rheumatic agents, particularly gold and busulamine. Um, and most of these cases of membranous were attributed secondary to the DMRDs, which has like now been well-established. So um, only one patient in the study had not been on any treatment for rheumatoid who had um, membranous. So there was no clear etiology on, on why that particular patient had membranous. And this was the study from 1995. Um, so this study came out of Sanjeev Sethi and group from Mayo Clinic. Um, they actually were trying to look at all the renal biopsy manifestations in those with connective tissue diseases. So they basically looked at the Mayo Clinic database over a period of 10 years, and they identified 12 patients with membranoproliferative GN um, with autoimmune condition. And they obviously excluded the SLE patients. So I'm focusing only on, out of those 12 patients, I'm going to focus only on the top five patients who had a diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis. So if you look the, on, the, on the bottom table, I've highlighted that two of these patients also had positive cryoglobulin and cryo, serum cryos. Um, and their um, C3 and C4, C4 was low in this particular patient, um, patient number three, uh, and so was the C3. And um, more or less uh, three out of five had nephrotic range proteinuria and the duration of um, autoimmune disease they're calling rheumatoid arthritis was basically 6.9 years, which is very similar to the one in the previous study. So the duration of rheumatoid arthritis is not a good correlation with the type of disease or the manifestation of the uh, membranous nephropathy or in this particular case, MPGN. Um, so they actually also looked at the monoclonal and hematological characteristics of the patients. Uh, both the patients had uh, IgM kappa in the serum immunofluorescence and um, had 5% plasma cells when they had like a bone marrow biopsy done. And these were the biopsy findings of all these five patients. There was almost 50% interstitial fibrosis and tubular atrophy in the patient number one, but we'll see in the later slide that the patient number five is the one who had no recovery of renal function and goes on to receiving dialysis. So this is how they treated their patients with membranoproliferative GN. All the patients pretty much except the last patient got prednisone um, and uh, patient number five did not get um, any treatment because I think he had already advanced fairly quickly. So they did not feel that starting on any new suppression would be of any useful in recovering his kidney function. And patient number three and four were treated with rituximab, plex, um, cytoxin, prednisone. Um, so this was these five patients from Mayo Clinic. Um, this was another study uh, that was published in uh, Clinical Journal of Clinical Rheumatology, uh, came out of Argentina. Um, they obviously included patients who had a diagnosis of RA after excluding those who had uh, lupus. In this study, amyloidosis was the most common biopsy finding in 31% of the patient, followed by mesangial GN in 18% and membranous in 17% of the patients. So out of 17% patients, um, mostly were women, which is a consistent theme that you are finding in almost all the studies. And the mean duration of disease uh, 
from the point of kidney disease was seven and a half years. So they've had a mean of seven and a half years of diagnosis of RA before they actually develop renal manifestation. 28% um, patients had a mean creatinine of 3.06 milligrams per deciliter, and 28% of the patients had had no exposure to the, any disease-modifying anti-rheumatic agent, which was something new that I found in this study as compared to the ones before that. Um, so this is basically, uh, yes, so this was the conclusions from this 65 patients from the study in Argentina. Then this study came out of Japan uh, they also did something very similar, uh, tried to screen the patients who have had a diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis and had undergone a biopsy from 2007 to 2013. Uh, they came up with 110 patients after exclusion who had connective tissue diseases, and then they've differentiated all those patients based on their disease. Um, so we're just going to concentrate on the first table here. Uh, first row um, of um, 52 patients who out of 110 who had rheumatoid arthritis, 71% um, of patients were females. Uh, the duration of diagnosis of connective tissue disease or rheumatoid arthritis was 7.3 years. 52% had pre presented with a nephrotic range proteinuria. And these are other of the common lab findings, uh, diagnosis of hypertension was present from 50%, 57% of patients, diabetes in 13% of the patients, and 37% uh, of the patients also had hematuria along with proteinuria. If you look at the EGFR, that is relatively preserved as compared to other uh, renal diseases. So this is what they found on the biopsy on um, these patients. Um, of RA, sorry, 50, 52 patients with rheumatoid arthritis, almost 30, 63% of the patients or 33 patients out of 52 had membranous nephropathy biopsy proven. Um, so the key points, and they don't really comment on this study on the management, how were these patients managed or what did they actually end up doing? They've looked at all of the other characteristics and said that a majority of these patients, and they don't even give a percentage, so they're saying a majority of these patients had been treated with busulamine, which they thought was the cause of membranous nephropathy in these patients. Um, so this is one of the lines from the conclusion, busulamine-related nephropathy may be a more common etiology rather than renal lesions caused by the rheumatoid arthritis itself was the conclusion of this particular study. And this was published in Clinical Experimental Nephrology in 2017. Then I looked at um, another study that came out of China, um, and there are not a whole lot of studies coming out of America. The most important one that I saw was the one from the Mayo Clinic. Um, so they looked at 56 patients um, who, with rheumatoid arthritis who have had renal biopsy from 20, 2007 to 2018. It was also a retrospective study, and they have um, classified these patients uh, based on their biopsy findings. So um, Sixty-one percent of patients who had membranous were females. Uh, the mean age was sixty-one years. The mean duration for rheumatoid arthritis was approximately twelve point nine or thirteen years. Um, five of them had did have um, joint deformities, and out of these patients, um, they tested anti-CCP in thirty-eight out of. Um, uh, fifty-six patients, uh, and it was positive in eighty-two percent of the patients. 
The rheumatoid factor, on the other hand, was positive only in 60% of the patient, 60% of patients. And I've highlighted another column, uh, which is what I'm trying to point out, that 23% patients or three patients in this particular study had never been treated with any um, um, immunosuppressive agents before. And the other ones that had been treated were treated with NSAIDs, methotrexate, leflunamide, or none of the classical like gold, bucilamine, depensilamine, uh, the agents that are character characteristically known to cause membranous in the previous studies. And none of the patients were on biologic agents. Um, so looking at the patients who did end up with uh, renal decline, um, 80% of the patients who had declined in renal function uh, were females. Um, their mean creatinine upon presentation was 1.96. They obviously had severe 100%, all patients had severe interstitial fibrosis to tubular atrophy. And one out of 56 patients um, who was untreated also went on to have decline in renal function at the time of follow-up, which was like 18 months. Yes, uh, 12 months after the study. So they were the patients were followed till like September 2019. So, so the conclusions from this study were that um, they found that IgE nephropathy was actually the most common renal lesion followed by membranous. Uh, membranous accounted for 23.2% of renal lesions and was not associated with the use of nephrotoxic agents. Membranous occurred mainly in older patients, was not related to the RA duration. Um, so the conclusion of this particular study as compared to the one from Japan was that they concluded that not only membranous can be induced by DMRDs, but it can happen in isolation and should not, um, the, but the direct relationship between the rheumatoid arthritis causing membranous nephropathy is also a possibility, although they didn't comment on the pathogenesis of that. And they said that that is something that should be considered in future as well. Hey, Mina, quick question for this study. Mm -hmm. Could it be that, if you go back a slide, could it be that the fact that uh, the patients who had renal function decline were not on any immunosuppression it's possible. Contribute to this, you know, it's like, it's I would think, I would say the opposite. It's because the patients with stable renal function were treated with uh, yeah. either a DMARD or an immunosuppressant, you know. And that is going to be my question from the group on how to, what to do, what should I do with this particular patient of mine who is absolutely refusing to be treated for rheumatoid arthritis? They have to be treated, I would say, but I don't know what the other people would think. Um, I'm just giving, trying to present all the best possible evidence for everyone to make an informed decision and tell me when I see this patient in a few days. Um, so yes, so this was the conclusion from this particular study and this is a pretty recent study. It was just published in 2020. Then I was able to find a few case reports. I've put in the pertinent ones. Um, in this particular case report, um, they have talked about a 61-year-old, uh, and this is from Japan, uh, with rheumatoid arthritis, nephrotic syndrome, um, and has had been treated with methotrexate in the past, but had discontinued all treatments four years before this particular hospitalization, never had been treated with gold or penicillamine. Renal pathology was uh, consistent with membranous. Um, and then uh, they're saying that they also actually did IgG subclass um, on the biopsy and only IgG2 was positive and rest of the workup like our patient was negative. 
Um, so this particular patient, they treated with uh, prednisone, tacrolimus, and methotrexate, and actually they did quite well, and they had a parallel reduction of proteinuria and, um, by the time they put in this case report, and they did not end up on dialysis. Uh, this other case report um, suggested the use of uh, rituximab. Um, in this particular patient, uh, she's a, it's a 50-year-old male uh, with um, evidence of um, erosive uh, arthritis on imaging studies, ANA was negative, had severe nephrotic range proteinuria, great, actually 26 grams proteinuria, and uh, six years after the diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis was on lefloamide, hydroxychloroquine, and etornocept. Uh, biopsy showed, uh, and that's all they have given in the biopsy finding, focal proliferation, one crescentic glomerulus, mesangial matrix proliferation suggestive of a secondary disease. So they tried to treat him uh, with um, uh, same things, lefronamide, hydroxychloroquine, etornocept, prednisone over a period of 10 months, but he continues to have a 24.8 gram proteinuria. So that's when, this is the graph, that's when he started on rituximab and azathioprine as a adjunctive anti-metabolite therapy. And then you can see that his proteinuria actually declines drastically to almost, I mean, he's still like probably not in remission. He's still not in remission for sure. He's above half, almost maybe like seven grams of proteinuria, but he has started to decline and serum albumin has improved. So I'm assuming that he must have improved even further after 2007. Um, so, um, my conclusions from all the literature review extensively that I've done over the last 10 days is that, um, and from all the studies is that membranous nephropathy is the most common biopsy finding in patients with rheumatoid arthritis. Um, even though they have no history of being treated in the past and they've not been taken any disease-modifying anti-rheumatic agents. It's more common in females. There's no correlation between the duration of disease. Some patients had a had had, had a diagnosis of six, six to seven years versus almost 14 years. And I could not find a clear answer on how to treat these patients. From the limited literature review, I would say that both the rheumatoid arthritis and membranous nephropathy needs to be treated in conjunction. Uh, but um, like I said, that this particular patient is a little bit uh, resistant uh, to being treated for her rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, but like I said, that if, if that is the consensus, I can maybe push a little bit harder for that. So just to give you an update on the patient, um, I got a repeat creatinine checked and uh, repeat labs done. Um, and her creatinine was now worse from 1.2 to 1.6 to two milligrams. Her protein urea did not improve, it's still the same. Um, since I didn't really have a clear answer, I was thinking I'll start her on a modified Ponticelli regimen. So I started her on prednisone one milligram per kg body weight, uh, which will finish sometime next week. Um, I tried to start her on Losartan, but she was not able to tolerate it because of symptomatic hypotension. Um, and that's where we are at. Okay, what should I do for this patient? So Minakshi, she's happy to be treated for her kidney disease, but not for her rheumatoid arthritis? Yeah, I don't know why. I, I, have, I don't know why. Maybe she's a little bit apprehensive because of the side effects that she suffered when she was first started on methotrexate. And to be very honest, I was when I initially saw her, and I've just seen her once, I was not myself convinced that this is just a membranous nephropathy happening just from the rheumatoid arthritis. 
I could not, I mean, I knew that it's probably not membranous since both the serum PLA2R and the glomerular PLA2R were negative, and I could not find any other secondary cause except the rheumatoid arthritis. So this time I'm going to push a little bit harder for that. Um, but is rituximab the way to go because of the possible role of B cells, or should I just like treat her like a membranous, like a mo modified Ponticelli regimen along with treatment of rheumatoid arthritis, or what should we do? What if you talk to rheumatology and find a drug that you find, you and they find comfortable, a single drug, like maybe methotrexate? Yep, I'll talk to them. I think that they uh, discussed that, that with her and then they were waiting that she'll see me. And then after that, we'll have a discussion. But after she saw me, I wasn't sure. So I wanted to present this case and before talking to rheumatology. And it has just been like two to three weeks, so. Minakshi, Teddy, yes. Yacoub, hey, uh, I, I would focus on the pathophysiology of this. Pathophysiology is clearly, she's making a lot of autoantibodies. Yeah. And the phenotype I'll totally ignore. She had membranous, she had cryoglobulin, she had positive ANA, she had uh, what we call a rheumatoid arthritis, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. So she's clearing, clearly had adaptive immune system not function properly, she pre clearly activating a complement, clearly forming in numerous autoantibodies. So treating either disease really treating is the same pathophysiology. So I'll treating adaptive immune system. If it's me, I'll use a rituximab and some steroid and get her off steroid. Your regimen will probably work, as work fine. Unlikely you will put her rheumatoid arthritis under control. So even if she doesn't want to treat her rheumatoid arthritis, you'll be treating it. Uh, so, so again, there's no right or wrong answer here. Methotrexate, I believe it's probably going to be inadequate in this lady, frankly. So, Pondicelli probably will do rituximab, what I would choose personally, repeat her B cell and see how she does. Unlikely, no matter what you do, though, as long as you treat her adaptive immune system, I think she'll feel better. So, so, so Mina yep. may have uh, messed up. So, if someone should. Uh, under treatment for bisphor or penicillin, uh, do you treat Shulan or do you stop sometimes? Uh, I, I didn't quite get your question. So if someone is still on getting the ball, do you stop that first, right? Or do you treat it through? Uh, the, if, if the patient is getting bored of penicillin for rheumatoid arthritis, uh, yeah, so so in all the all the studies that I looked at, they said that the membranous nephropathy result after discontinuation or the number one thing to do is discontinue gold or deep penicillamine that the patient is already on in of the prior studies. And like I said, that in major majority of those studies, they didn't really comment on how to treat these patients except just discontinue the offending agent, which is uh, uh, like I mentioned, gold and depenicillamine, but they didn't really comment on the treatment except in these two recent case studies where they've used like rituximab and prednisone and cyclophosphamide. Mina, I would ask rheumatology how often they treat um, rheumatoid arthritis with rituxan. That would be a good question for them. Like, you know, I'm sure they don't treat it with gold and penicillamine, right? I mean, those are older agents. Yeah, I think um, even their uh, drug of choice was methotrexate to begin with. Um, 
but I think um, I'm not sure if their perception or their management would change if we were to strongly say that this membrane is, com is coming from rheumatoid arthritis. If I was to treat this patient, I would have like, which is what I'm already doing, like modified Ponticelli is what I, I'm, I was going to do. Uh, the only thing you showed in one study that uh, the, the uh, rituxan was more beneficial than the cyclophosphate, than the pon modified Ponticelli, that paper where you showed a rapid drop in the, cre yeah, that one. But I don't know what the PLA2R was in that one either. You know what I mean? Yeah, so PLA2R was like negative in this particular patient. So like your patient. Yeah, so I think they did it for like 10 months and chlorambucil, which is like, I mean, yes. That's yeah, it. it wasn't, okay. I thought it was uh, cyclophosphamide or cyclosporin. Yeah, this is tough. I mean, I would start with asking the, you know, what the rituxan role is in rheumatoid arthritis and see if that's like a two-in-one or not. Yeah, it's on those same lines. And I'm, I got some articles up here. It does look like they use rituximab for refractory rheumatoid arthritis. Yep. If you can treat the membranous and it will also treat the, I would probably go that route rather than trying to treat the rheumatoid arthritis with some agent that we know is not going to be effective for membranous. All right. That's good to know. Especially with the renal failure, the methotrexate is going to be an issue too, right? Yep. So, so, so if the membranous is not used to the goal of the you would assume this is due to underlying rheumatoid arthritis, right? The pathogenesis, right? That's what, I, that's what I'm assuming. So you just have to focus to be treating rheumatoid arthritis. Yes. And the other thing which I forgot to bring up or mention till now is that this patient had already been taking Mobic meloxicam fairly regularly because uh, for her joint pain. And I was actually even able to find some studies where NSAIDs can cause membranous nephropathy by itself. So that was my thing that I know that there's an obvious factor, but that is also a possibility. But regardless, I believe that everyone is leaning or a majority of everyone is leaning towards rituximab. So I'll talk to rheumatology and maybe we can do that. And I guess we'll just have to see how she did because, um, yeah. So one thing to keep in mind with you know, anecdotal case reports. First of all, membranous can spontaneously remit. Secondly, mm -hmm. that particular individual, it looks like she was also started on azathioprine at the same time. Yep. So I rituximab entered the title azathioprine didn't. I, I don't know, but it perhaps reflects the author bias. Yes, possibly. They're saying that they um, when the, the particular case report was published at that time, rituximab was just approved uh, by FDA for treatment of refractory RA. So did, they didn't want to use rituximab in isolation. So that's why they also chose azathioprine um, as an adjunctive anti-metabolite therapy. So I don't know which, which was more useful, maybe rituximab. Maybe this is something exactly that we can do for my patient, both rituximab and azathioprine. I mean, actually, the reason rituximab not really used by rheumatologists that often is mostly historical accident more so than anything else. They have a lot of other things they use, but they have used rituximab successfully. And actually quite few of my patients, I remember, although not first or second line agent. So they, they are comfortable using rituximab in this particular case. They would have been. And to echo what everyone's saying, um, I have a patient who has ANCA vasculitis that we're doing rituximab both for the inflammatory arthritis and for the ANCA. So, so if rituximab is due to underlying rheumatoid arthritis, so what is the mechanism? Is the rheumatoid factor deposited in the, in the kidney or 
cross reactive with some component of uh, uh, kidney or what? Anything in about it? So in a, in the earlier uh, articles that I looked at from like 80s, they were more uh, leaning towards the role of rheumatoid factor depositing, um, causing membranous by like antigen antibody complex formation and, and depositing in the kidneys. But the newer case reports slash studies that I looked at were more leaning towards the role of possible role of B cells. Um, differentiation B cells um, and um, that being the pathogenesis behind uh, the, the findings, the membranous findings. But I'm not sure, I did not get a clear answer. So I do, I, I'm not sure. And this, this patient also had like immune complex um, formation. So maybe it, it was like from some other infection that she had that she probably doesn't remember and membranous was already happening. And then we happened to do the biopsy and found membranous like diffuse foot process effacement, subepithelial deposits is, is, is membranous. I just don't know how to explain those intramembranous deposits, so. I mean, actually, I don't know if Dr. Dow is still available. From what I understand, he had more, she had more than IgG, IgG2, and IgG3. And rheumatoid arthritis is IgG against IgG. Yep. So, so presumably two kind of IgG. So the fact she had what appeared to be multiple IgGs in her, in her, I mean, you could absolutely make argument she does have rheumatoid factor in her kidney, although I'm not really sure how. So How we don't stay for that subclassing of IgG was not done. That is going to be my like uh, another question. In the study from particular study from Japan, they did a subclassification of IgG and found like IgG two predominantly in those with rheumatoid arthritis. But in our case, uh, it was just IgG and C three. They did not like subclassify. They did not do it. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, we cannot do it over here. It needs to be sent out. Okay, but Our it can be done. Yeah, if needed. Okay. Okay. All right. Anyone else has any questions, comments? Thank you. Nice picture. Thanks, Mina. Yeah, I, I was supposed to give a journal club. I didn't have any interesting articles, and I had this challenging case. I thought I'll, I'll present that, and if I have any other ones in future, I'll do that too. Yeah, it was really good. Thanks. Thank you, Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, you. So, how many Yes. So, there's one person actually.